thank you for the relationship that we get to have with you because of your adoption. You didn't just forgive us and leave us to ourselves, but you adopted us. You forgave us, adopted us, and brought us to yourself because that was your desire. And we are seated with you in heavenly places. So we're right with you right now. We're seated with you. Which definitely speaks of how you desire to be close to us. And we thank you for that. And Father, because we are followers of Jesus, we desire to be effective sons and daughters of the King. We want to be fruitful. We want to be passionate about the things that you're passionate about, which is people. So thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in our families, in this, our church family, and what you're doing in this community, and what you're doing in our nation. Father, you have not given up on the United States. Thank you for that. And Lord, we open our hearts to receive from you, to hear what you want to say, what you want to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to continue a series I started a few weeks ago. It's called Understanding Our Identity and Who We Are in Christ, namely our freedom from sin. And this is part two. Understanding our identity and who we are in Christ, our freedom from sin. And I'm going to read out of Judges chapter 6. I would encourage you to read the story of Gideon. Many of you are familiar with the story. It's one of the famous stories that we hear a lot about. But it's a very fascinating story. And I want to encourage you because I'm not going to go through it all today. I'm going to just touch on a little bit of it. Uh, Judges 6 and 7 and 8, I believe, or 6 and 7. So on your own time, I would encourage you to read the story of Gideon. In verse 1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. So this is how the story starts out. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Okay. They left the Israelites with nothing, nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on dro- droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So they were reduced to starvation. All these bad guys were, were bringing devastation to the Israelites. And they were, they've reduced them to starvation. It says, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. And he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. And I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. That's pretty dramatic, wasn't it? I like that. So I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. And back in verse 1, he said, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now that phrase, the Lord handed them over, could be interpreted, the Lord allowed the Midianites, or he handed them over. It can be interpreted one of two ways. But basically, because of their evil that they were committing and living in, the, the enemy was allowed to wreak havoc in their lives. And you know, a lot of times when you read stories like this, it's like, man, God was pretty mean, pretty harsh, just because they weren't worshiping him, but they were worshiping, they were worshiping Baal and Asherah. And the bad thing about that, you know, we, when we think of worship, it's not that scary or, or serious, but 
Worshiping these gods required human sacrifice. So these, the Israelites were sacrificing their babies, which meant killing them, as they were worshiping these gods. So when it said that they were committing evil in the Lord's sight, it wasn't just a small thing. They were sacrificing their children to appease these demon gods. Verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero, or mighty man of valor in some translations. So Gideon is hiding. He's threshing out some wheat, trying to hide his food so that the bad guys don't steal it from him. So he's hiding. The Lord shows up and calls him mighty man of valor, which means a man of bravery. And if you look at Gideon, he doesn't look like a man of bravery right there, does he? Does he? I mean, if he's hiding, and if you're hiding out, if you're hiding in the closet because you're afraid of someone getting you, and then the angel of the Lord shows up in the closet and says, you mighty man or mighty woman of valor, you might think God has the wrong address. He's like, that didn't make any sense. But God doesn't look at us based on our circumstances. He looks at us based on our identity that we have in him. And see, that's why I was saying earlier, God is wanting us to see ourselves from his perspective. It's important that we begin to see ourselves from his perspective. So when he shows up and he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Then in verse 13, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. No, so Gideon is asking this question, if God is with us, then why is all this bad stuff happening? Why are the bad guys able to wipe out all of our food and we're starving? If you're with us, why is this happening? And how many of you have heard people ask those questions? I love God, but why is all this bad stuff happening to me, to us? And if you want the answer to that, the very beginning of the story, it says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Israelites did evil, so the Lord handed them over. Cause and effect. Sin, consequences. You see that? And so Gideon's asking, why is this happening to us? And you notice the Lord didn't answer him. Verse 14. So Gideon says, why is all this happening to us? Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said... Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. God totally overlooked his question. And I believe it was because, and this is just my personal opinion, I believe it's because it's obvious that Gideon already knew the answer. He already knew the answer because after the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord sent a prophet. And the prophet who came told them, this is what the Lord says. And he says, remember, I am the Lord. You shall not worship false gods. But you did not listen to me. You ignored me. And that's all it said that the prophet said. And I'm sure, and again, this is my personal opinion, I'm sure Gideon heard that message. When the prophet comes to town, it probably got everybody's attention. So everybody heard the word of the Lord. So then the Lord shows up, has this dialogue with Gideon, and Gideon's like, well, why is all this stuff happening? He already knew why it was happening. The Lord just ignored that question. He said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And then Gideon began, he says, but how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So after God ignored his question and told him to go, and then Gideon gave him excuses. My family is the least, and I am the youngest. I'm the most insignificant. See, Gideon again was still looking from his perspective at himself. God was looking at him from his perspective. See, when the Lord tells us to do something or calls us to do something, a lot of times it's like, I can't do that. I can't do that. Because all the things and all my experiences and choices from the past 
tells me I can't do that which you're calling me to do. Our identity is not our choices. Our identity is who Jesus says we are. Are you hearing me? Do you agree with me? Do you believe me? That's different. Do you believe me? So in verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you. You know, our past really doesn't matter. The choices we made in the past doesn't matter as far as God's concerned since he's forgiven us and he's cleansed us. And the Bible says he's removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. So if the Lord shows up, excuse me, when the Lord shows up and tells you, here's what I have for you to do, here's what I want you to do, together you and I, I want to accomplish some amazing things with you. Your first response is going to be, and sometimes what does that look like? What does that look like? When God tells you something or when he wants you to do something, one way it looks like is all of a sudden you have this dream, this thing inside of you that you can't get rid of. Just have these thoughts that you just keep mulling over and thinking about, maybe really having dreams in your sleep. But you think of doing these amazing things that has to do with impacting a lot of people or a few people. But it has to do with impacting people's lives, helping them in some way. And your heart gets full of that. But then you think, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Your conclusion has come because of the past choices or your current circumstances. And you disqualify yourself. So if, if, if you've been experiencing that, you've been experiencing dreams or, or these thoughts and visions about doing amazing things, first of all, stop saying you can't do that. Please stop, because that's not true. Just like what Gideon said, I can't do that because I'm the least, I'm the youngest. Basically, he was saying, God, you don't understand. You don't know who I am. You got the wrong man. And then Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord. And so then there's something to happen. I'm going to skip over right now. But the Lord, and Gideon had an encounter with the Lord. The Lord helped him in a wonderful way and revealed who he was. And so Gideon was convinced. Oh, my goodness. Matter of fact, when he saw and realized that it was the Lord, he thought, uh-oh, now I'm going to die because I just saw the Lord. And I believe that when you saw the Lord face to face or you saw him, that meant you had to die. You're going to die. And so he's like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to die because I just saw the Lord. And the Lord said, be at peace. You're not going to die. In other words, he said, chill out, Gideon. It's going to be okay. And then after all that, those things happen. Verse 25. Here's the first thing that the Lord has Gideon do. Once Gideon comes into agreement and says, okay, God, what, what do you want me to do? He said, here's the first thing I want you to do. Verse 25. That night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on the hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully and sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood from the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. So Gideon, so the first thing God had Gideon take care of and deal with was his relationship to sin. His relationship, his dealing with sin, that was the first thing that God had him to do. In other words, God said, you are going to deliver Israel from the bad guys paraphrasing. But here's what we need to take care of first, the sin that's in your life. And he had Gideon take down his father's altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. And I believe, and I haven't researched this out, I wouldn't even know where to begin, but I believe, you know, Gideon apparently lived with his father. They all lived together in community. I believe that Gideon worshiped at that altar every day. So this wasn't just his father's sin that he was dealing with. It, 
dealing with. It was his personal sin. It was the altar of Baal. It's where they worshipped. And God says, we need to deal with this. We need to take care. So it's like right after Gideon had an encounter with the Most High God, then God wanted to deal with the sin in his life because it was the sin. Remember, it was that stronghold of sin that was allowing the enemy to have its way in their lives. The sin that Israel was dealing with, worshiping Baal, was what opened the door for the enemy to cause destruction in their lives. Remember, Israel was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And it says the Lord handed them over to the Amalekites, the Midianites, for seven years. Three points that I made last time. If you are a born-again follower of Jesus, he expects you and I to no longer live a lifestyle of sin. Say it again just to make sure this is on. If you are a born-again Christian, the reason why I say born-again, because in America we have different kinds of Christians. You know what I'm talking about? The lip service Christians versus the followers of Jesus Christians. Which one be you? So if you're a born-again Christian, God's full expectation is for us to walk free from sin. That's the first thing. The second thing, second point, is sin will bring death and destruction into your life and the lives of those around you. God wants us free from something that's going to kill us. In the Bible, there's many instances, especially particularly in the New Testament, when he says, don't do this. Do not do that. And we can interpret that as, well, God doesn't want me to do that because he doesn't want me to have fun. No, he's saying, don't do that because it will kill you. It will bring destruction into your life. And because God cares for you, because he loves you and I, he doesn't want us to do things that's going to bring destruction in our lives. Jesus came so that we can have life abundantly. We can live life to the fullness. The enemy, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? You see the distinction between the two? Still kill and destroy, abundant life. The Bible says sin brings death. The wages of sin is, when you think about wages, let's say you work for somebody, say, hey, if you work for me, I'll pay you well. And you work for this guy for 10 hours in the blazing Oklahoma heat and humidity. 10 hours. And you chop wood and you do all this, you clean brush up and you do all that and you're, Melted down, you lost 100 pounds from sweat. And so you come to this guy expecting payment. He says, oh, you ready for payment? And he kills you. That's your payment. The Bible says the wages, the payment of sin is death. So after you do all that stuff, what you get is death. It brings death. And when I was sharing this a few weeks ago, whenever that was, at that week... During that time, the few days before, we all know or read or saw on TV the story of the man from Ripley or wherever he was from. He killed his two children and he killed himself. Remember that? That, that tragedy, that horrific tragedy. See, that is the full payment of what sin looks like. Death and destruction. But see, that man's sin did not only affect him, but it affected those innocent children. Those innocent children. When the children of Israel... When Israelites were worshiping Baal, they were committing sin. It didn't just affect them. It affected their kids, the ones who were being thrown into the fire, who were being sacrificed. See, a lot of times we think my sin won't affect anybody else. That is a lie. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. See, that man's sin affected his whole family. The grandparents. Imagine the devastation that man's choice is causing on his family even to this day. The sin you and I think we can play with, that we think it doesn't have any effect on anybody, see, that's a lie of the enemy. He entices us into sin. We participate. And then he lies to us and says, oh, this isn't going to hurt you. This isn't going to hurt anybody. And the next thing you know, all kinds of havoc is being wreaked. 
we're reaping all kinds of havoc in our lives. Sin brings death and destruction to our lives and the lives of those around you. Galatians 6, 7 and 8 says, Do not be disled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And check this out. This is a crazy verse. Ephesians 4.26. It says, Be angry and yet do not sin. No, he's not telling us to everybody go around and be angry. That's not what he's saying. Oh, I get to be angry. No, he's saying in your anger. How many of you guys realize that we get angry? Or people you know get angry, not us. In, whenever you experience a time of being angry, it says, be angry, but yet do not sin. How many of you realize that you can be angry and not sin? But most of the time, when we get angry, we sin. Or the people you know, when they get angry, they sin. And he's saying, be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Right? And so right here, he's talking relationally. When you, maybe you get into it with your spouse or or significant other, or your children, or something like that, you get angry, and there's this big heated argument, and this, this um, confrontation. And it says, do not, let the, do not let the sun go down on that situation, your anger. In other words, you begin to harbor that anger, that resentment. It turns to bitterness, unforgiveness. But it says, be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Or a foothold. So here's what this is saying. If you sin in your anger and let the sun go down on that anger, you will give the devil an opportunity. And the Greek word for that word, give him a place. In the King James, I believe it says place. I forgot to look up the Greek word, but there is a Greek word. And it means it's like geographical location. You're giving him place. You're giving the devil an opportunity. In other words, you've become a landlord and you've allowed him to become a, a, a resident on your property because of your sin. Does that sound familiar what the children of Israel did? Remember, they sinned, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and all of a sudden the enemy was allowed to come in and wreak havoc. Do not give the devil a place. How do you give him a place? Let the sun go down on your anger. Sin. Be angry and sin and let the sun go down and you give the devil place. Resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness. It gives the devil place. It gives him legal right. The devil is a legalist. And when we cooperate and give him legal right, and we're talking to one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, remember? He's not the one who comes to bring abundant life. Now, he will appear as an angel of light to deceive many. In other words, you invite him in thinking, hey, he's not that bad. He's not that bad. But you let him come in and have a small place, and guess what? He's going to take over. He's going to take over. You know, the little sin that we think is not that big deal, big of a deal, it will take over. Pornography will take over and destroy your life, your marriage, your children, everybody in its wake. Oh, but it's not a big deal. Talk to the people whose families, whose marriages have been destroyed because of a husband or wife's addiction. But it's not that big a deal. Or think about, you know, with this, these new laws, the, the drug laws, the marijuana, the you know, the laws that have been passed. And to think that, well, because it's the law, then it's got to be okay with God. And you would be amused if you heard some of the arguments that I hear from people justifying that it's okay to smoke marijuana. But you wouldn't be surprised because you're probably hearing the same things. But so you think it's okay because maybe you use it to help you in whatever way, but then your children see you I say, oh, that's got to be okay because mom or dad. And then your children get addicted. 
And it's been proven that marijuana is a gateway drug. And so I get to hear this all the time with the cops. I hang out particularly with the drug cops, and I'm learning quite a bit. And they are pretty upset by this law because because they work hand-in-hand with the devastation and the consequences of people dealing with drugs. You know, starting with the, with the innocent marijuana, and it's like, man, that was pretty good. I need something a little bit stronger. And door opens up and you begin to, to tap into the other stuff that will hook you and will not let you go. And then it destroys your family. And then all these young men, these men that I get to visit in prison, that I'm very grateful to have the opportunity, and to hear their stories and the devastation that they're experiencing, their children are experiencing because of the choices they made with the innocent marijuana. And we think it's okay. And see, our Heavenly Father came so that we can be free. And he's not saying don't do that because he's wanting to spoil our fun. He's saying, son, that will hurt you. Daughter, that will destroy you. But I've made a way for you to be totally free. And he wants us to experience his freedom. And so number three, those who have committed their lives to Jesus and are born again have been set free from the power and bondage of sin. Okay, now it's about to get happy up off in here, okay? Those who have committed their lives to Jesus and are born again have been set free from the power and bondage of sin. That's why he can rightfully expect us to walk free from sin. John 8, 31 says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? The truth will set you free. And then he says, Who who the Son has set free is truly free indeed. See, a lot of times people quote the last part of that one verse, you shall know the truth and the truth shall... No, they say, the truth shall make you free. How many have heard that? The truth shall set you free. That's not actually true. The truth won't set you free. You can see truth written on a billboard and drive past it. That doesn't mean all of a sudden, whoa, check that out. I'm free. That's not how it works. Jesus says, if you are my disciples, then you will continue in my word. Or if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Then you shall know the truth. Then you shall know the truth experientially. You shall know the truth, and that's when it sets you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Do you realize that we can live a life of not struggling from sin and not trying not to sin? That's not freedom. That's survival. He has made it for us to be able to walk in true freedom. Romans chapter 6. Out of the NLT, New Living Translations, Romans chapter 6. And and today we're going to cover or attempt to cover verses 1 through 14. Starting with verse 1. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Should we keep on sinning so that we can experience more of God's grace? No. Right here it says, of course not. Some translations, it says, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? The answer is obviously no. Since we have died to sin, now listen to this. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Verse 4, And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. 
Now, some of you might think in verse 6, it says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So some of us can think, well, this is talking about the future. This is talking about the future we're going to be free from sin. But look at the end of that verse. I'm going to read it again. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are, not we will be. It says we are no longer slaves to sin. Verse 7 and 8. For when, and this is why, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You hear that? For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. See, it's not just about dying to sin and not sinning, but it's about living with him, living the resurrected life, living the fullness of life, not just avoiding sin. Are you with me? But we are free from sin. We are free. Verse 9. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. When he died, he died once. He ain't dying again. Jesus is not dying again. Did you hear that? Jesus is not dying again. He died once. To break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Verse 11. So you also, because of all the stuff that we just read, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to read verse 11 in the New King James Version. It says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm read it again. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin indeed, or indeed to sin. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ our Lord. Now that word reckon in the King James, in the Greek it's, Lagizomai, 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 like it says on that app, lagizomai. It's like, and it means to reckon, to count, to compute, to calculate, to count over. In other words, words, it is a an a calcul or a uh, accounting term, an accounting term. So when it says likewise, reckon yourselves to the dead to be dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So reckon. In other words, you've added up all the facts. Everything that Jesus did. For example, 2 plus 2 equals. 2 plus 2 equals. I knew we'd have some of them in here. Hey, Holly and Han, could you guys come up here for a second? I'm going to do some simple mathematics. And Adam, you make sure I do this right, okay? He's a PhD math person. So all of you who need help with your homework with math, I just introduce you to to Adam. All right. We have two people right here, right? Now, if I add two more people, how many people am I going to have up here? No, I'm talking. Okay, forget I'm up here, okay? (laughs) Now stop. This is not a trick question. You people know me too well, but stop. Forget the past. Forget the past. Ricky, could you and uh, Bianca come up here for a second? So if I have two people, listen, folks. If I have two people, I'm not up here. You guys stand over here. Okay. Two people. Two, one, two, right? And I add two more people. How many people do I have total? Thank you. Do I still have any doubters out there? See, two plus two is four. So I'm going to reckon if I have two people and I add two more people, then I reckon or what's that word I said? Logizomai. Then I'm going to have four people up here. Two 
plus 2 is 4. Right? It's not 5. But what if I said, well, 2 plus 2 is 4, but I, I don't feel like there being 4 people up here. I, I, I'm in the mood for 3. 2 plus 2, I'm in the mood for it to be 3. What would you say? Say, I'm, something's wrong, right? All right, thank you. You guys may be seated. Well, 2 plus 2 is 4, right? Well, what would we agree? I just tried to prove that scientifically or mathematically or however you want to say it. 2 plus 2 is 4. But some people may try to live in the reality that 2 plus 2 is 3. In other words, regardless of truth, People still try to live in untruth, regardless of truth, regardless of the fact that two plus two equals four. Many people want to live the reality that two plus two is three. And here's what I mean by that. Let me turn my phone back on. Verse six, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Verse 9, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. How many of you believe Christ was raised from the dead? I want to share one, one interesting thing. Do you realize that our faith stands or falls on the resurrection? Do you realize that? And we were not around to witness the resurrection, were we? No. If you were, don't raise your hand. Because you'll freak me out. We weren't there. But do you realize there is more evidence pertaining to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other historical event? Period. More evidence. More evidence. In other words, you take, you take the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the court of law and use all the, the, the laws and everything, it's going to win hands down a million times over because of all the evidence. all the Because people say, well, you can't prove it scientifically. No, you cannot prove what you ate for dinner last week scientifically. You cannot prove that you went to the movies to see Unplanned last week, you cannot prove that scientifically. If it, if it was only about proving stuff scientifically, you could not prove a lot of stuff scientifically. But just because you can't prove something scientifically does not mean that you cannot prove it. I can prove that Lisa went to the movies last week to see Unplanned. I can prove that not by science, but by other means, which I forgot what it's called. But it's like when you have witnesses, you, you, you stack up evidence. Were there people that saw her at the movie? Did she have people with her at the movie? So you can interview witnesses and all that kind of stuff. So there's other ways to prove the reality of something. It's not just science. Does that make sense? So Jesus Christ was resurrected. That's what it says right here. And there's more evidence pertaining to that one incident in history than any other event. So verse 10, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now he, now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So, so because of all that, two plus two, so because of all that, you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Or likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Two plus two equals four. But some people still want to live under the reality that 2 plus 2 equals 3. You have been set free from the bondage of sin because you were crucified with Christ. And you're raised up with him. Therefore, the bondage of sin is broken off of you. Therefore, you are free from sin. 2 plus 2 is 4. But many Christians want to say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. In other words, 2 plus 2 is 3. Regardless of the truth, we still want to live in the fact of untruth. I am free from sin. You are free from sin. He made you free from sin. Let me put it that way. He made you free from sin. Now, whether you choose to live in that freedom is a whole different thing. And we'll be talking about that at another time. But here's the point that we have to get. 
before we begin to walk in the freedom from sin and the fullness of life, we have to come into agreement with God's word. And his word declares that you and I have been set free from sin. His word declares that. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Our mind. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. If I think I'm just a sinner saved by grace, which typically means I can't help it. I'm weak. I can't help it. I'm going to do this because, you know, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. And you know what? God does forgive us when we ask for forgiveness. But there's one thing we forget about. He doesn't necessarily remove the consequences. I know people who were behind bars who did some horrible things. And they seemingly are repentant for what they did. However, they're still going to face some major consequences. That doesn't mean God hasn't forgiven them. If if they have a relationship with him and they've asked him for forgiveness, the word says he has forgiven them. I'm even talking about the guys who have committed murder on purpose, not by accident, on purpose. Horrific, heinous crimes. But they've repented and turned their hearts to Jesus. They are forgiven, but there are consequences that they still have to face. If you don't believe that, ask King David about the consequences. A man after God's own heart loved God but made some horrific choices, sin, you know, adultery, murder, and all that. And he repented. Oh, God, I am sorry. He repented when he was confronted by the man of God. He was confronted. David repented. But guess what? He had some serious consequences that he had to face. And his children, his family. I mean, there was murder. They were killing each other. They were violating. There was all kinds of craziness. So for those who think they can play the game of sin, ask God to forgive me, I'm good. You know that? You know how you know people who try to do that? I used to do that. I used to do that, play that game. Monday through Saturday, I lived my own life, did my own thing. When I was back in college, doing my own thing, life was good. And then Sunday, I'd go to church. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, forgive me. And all that. Crying. You know, big crocodile tears. And then get up. Out the door, on my way to start over again. Playing that game. That's not being a follower of Jesus. And that's not freedom either. I wasn't free. I wasn't free at all. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. For us to begin to walk in freedom, we have to begin to agree with what God's word says. His word says that he made a way for me to be free. I am free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth. The truth what? The truth says I am free from the bondage of sin. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I can walk in freedom. When I was dealing with with pornography and it was eating my lunch, I was not experiencing freedom at all. And I remember at that time, I used to think the the images and the the thoughts that were bombarding my mind. I thought it was always going to be that way. I thought, man, there's it's always going to be this way. I was believing a lie. But guess what? It ain't that way no more. I begin to realize what the word said. His word said, the son, whom the son sets free is free indeed. Because of my relationship with him, because I was crucified with him and resurrected with him, I can walk in freedom from sin. And I begin to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. It starts with our minds. 
And I'm not talking about mental gymnastics. I'm not talking about happy thoughts and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about coming into agreement with the word. Coming into agreement. And check this out. If you have no relationship, here I am holding my phone up again. If you have no relationship with the word, I'm not talking about Apple or Android. If you have no relationship with the word, it's going to be very difficult for you to walk in freedom. If you continue in my word, well, how am I going to continue in the word if I don't know the word? I got to know the word to continue in it. And as I continue it, as I read it and I come into agreement, it's like this is good stuff. It was reading that word and coming to agreement, confessing it. Because my mind said, it's always going to be this way. God's word said, that is not the case. Two plus two is four. My mind was saying two plus two is three. Many of us are stuck on three. We are stuck and we're fully convinced that two plus two is three. And we're living that reality. He says, that is not true. That is not true. Verse 12, 13, and 14 says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Now listen, verse 12, after we've considered and realized, reckoned what the word says, that I am free, then he says, so do not let sin control you, control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. You were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Verse 14, sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. See, we get, he says, do not let sin, do not let sin control you. Do not let sin master you. Because we have a choice. Once we're free, we have a choice. It's like the illustration a couple weeks ago. If I'm in this prison, if I'm in a jail cell, and Natalie comes over and unlocks the door and it swings wide open, bam, and I'm standing here, I'm not cuffed or anything, the door's wide open, and she says, you're free. Now, if I stay in that jail cell, then guess what? I'm not living in the reality of my freedom. The truth is, I can't. All I have to do is step out, right? Because truth says, the door is open. There's no barrier holding you back. But then I have a choice to choose to walk in that freedom. So I can choose to agree with and walk in the, 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 the lie of, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Meaning, I'm forgiven. I've been saved by his grace, but I'm continuing to live in sin. Two plus two is three. Or I can begin to walk in the freedom that he's made available for you and I. Are you hearing me? Are you with me? You know, we can go to all kinds of counseling, and I recommend counseling, biblically-based counseling. I recommend all kinds of help. I recommend it. However, big however, if your life and your reality, the truth if your reality is not based on the word of God, then you're going to go to all kinds of counseling. It's not going to do you any good. Or it's going to be based on behavior modification. It's going to be based on you trying to do what you can to stop it. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Versus, I'm free. I'm free. I don't have to do that anymore. I'm free. Do you know how liberating it was? being a little bit vulnerable, just a little bit, knowing the struggles that I had in the past, and to be able to go to New Orleans, the Mardi Gras, three weeks ago. The Lord told me last year, he said, I want you to go. I'm like, seriously? Lord, do you know what goes on down there? To go to the Mardi Gras, to be right in the epicenter of chaos. Now, if you want to see debauchery, yeah, right there. People come from all over the world to come to that location. And it is not Christian stuff going on there. You know what I mean? And to be able to be right there in the middle of that and some crazy stuff going on around you 
and to not be affected by it, but to be able to walk and minister to people and pray for people and bring the kingdom into the chaos and not struggling, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, but walking in freedom. You know how liberating that was? Knowing that the people who are around me who are, who are in total bondage, I know that there's an answer for their bondage because I'm walking in freedom. This is why it's so important for you and I to understand this. Because, see, remember Gideon, when God called Gideon, mighty man of war, valiant warrior. He's calling him out. He's calling you out today. Mighty man, mighty woman, who's going to have great impact. But the first thing he had to do was deal with his sin. Gideon had to be willing to deal with it, even though he was afraid. He dealt with it. He recognized this is, you know, his stance with sin. That's the first thing. As we become born again, God says you're free. And remember, Jesus says repent. Turn from your sin. Not pray the prayer, continue to live life the way you want to, and then just expect God to forgive you and all that kind of stuff. But the reason why it's so important for you and I to get this is because there are people who are in total depravity and bondage and really hurting and really in a desperate situation. And you are their answer. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So your testimony of freedom, your testimony of victory is going to be used by the Lord to set people free. Last thing I want to share. I find myself in very peculiar situations these days. And I, I mean, I've never been in situations, and I'm very grateful. And it's very exciting, very scary at the same time, very exciting. Where I get to stand and look a murderer in the eye. And he and I have nothing in common. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do all this. I didn't do that. And this, these people have killed people on purpose. And they're just bad people. But to see God get a hold of them, when I share my testimony, not my testimony of I was in drugs and I was set free, but my testimony of me being a good boy was going to the same hell that you, the murderer, were going to because I deserve the same hell because I've committed sin. And whether it's lying or cheating on my taxes or murder, we all deserve hell. But to be able to look these men in the eye, share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, because of the conviction in me that it's real, is not just something in a book, but it's real because of my experience of freedom. When you're bound by something and you get set free, man, it, it makes you alive. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you get set free and then you're alive, and then you get to look guys in the eyes who are still bound but who want freedom. And then with conviction, you share with these guys, and all of a sudden you see things break. And then they, these scary, strong men, begin to cry and give their lives to Jesus. And I used to think, what difference can I make with these kind of people? Christ in me, the hope of glory. There is so much he wants to do, not only inside of you, but through you. And he's not trying to get you all fixed up so you can, he can use you. No, he wants you in relationship because he cares for you. He wants you to be set free because he passionately loves you. He is passionate about you, and he wants you free. But it starts with coming into agreement with his truth. Amen? Would you stand with me? It's like the prayer team, uh, those of you who were here this morning, if you'd come up, please.
Now, I hope you would agree with me that, that Romans chapter 6 is full of good news. Anybody agree with that? I mean, that is some good news right there. Life-changing, prison jail-breaking, great news. But it first starts with, have you given your life to Jesus? Because we're not talking about modif- you know, uh, behavior modification where you just try to be better, try to do good. We're not talking about that. We're talking about total surrender to the king. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As you follow him, he will make you into the person he wants you to be. It starts with surrender to him. And if you haven't done that before, I want to invite you up. As soon as I dismiss, I want to invite you to come up and tell one of these, these couples, these people up here and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. It's time. I've done the church thing. I've done the religious thing. I've done the, all that stuff. But it's time to bow the knee and totally surrender to the king. And secondly, if you have done that, it's time for us to come into agreement with his word. We have to have relationship with the word of God. We have to read it. And listen, this may sound harsh. It's only because I love you. We cannot survive. No, we cannot thrive off of one scripture a day. And I hope you hear that with love. We cannot, excuse me, thrive. We can survive. But we're not about surviving. We're about thriving. We're about overcoming We need to feast on the Word of God because it is our bread. Are you hearing me? Please hear love and not condemnation. Hear conviction and challenge and not condemnation. We have to devour His Word because it will change us. Amen? And the last thing, if you find yourself, you need help, please let one of us pray for you. Let one of us pray with you up here. Yeah. I just felt like I had this testimony I, wanted to, I needed to share. Um, I met with a lady a while back <clears throat> and uh, who actually for the past four, three, four years was, doing a, was in pornography. And she came up to me to, to visit with me. And uh, we talked, we prayed, <clears throat> and I met with her. And, and she goes, man, since I met with you, I've had no desire at all anymore. And she goes, I know it's going to get harder, though. And I said, who told you that? Who told you it's going to get harder? Oh, uh, I, I guess no one. I just Sometimes when we, when we come out and we take that first step and we say, I need to be free in this area, we, the, the, immediately a lie comes in and says, oh, but you know how hard it's going to be? But you know, ooh, you know, sometimes the most difficult part is stepping out and saying, I'm done. That there is so much freedom in just that obedience and submitting yourself to God and saying, okay, I'm done. And that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. And the enemy says, oh, you're going to have such a hard time. Oh, you need to be delivered from demons, which we walk you through things. But oh, my goodness. Who the son is set free is free indeed. And I just want to encourage you. There's things you're struggling with. You know, come out and don't expect, oh, it's going to be so hard, though. I don't know if you can handle me. Well, Jesus already did on the cross. He's already handled you. Now your part is just to step out and say, I need some help. I need, I'm ready to submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for your conviction just resting on our hearts. And I thank you for your grace that goes with us, that that gives us the ability to repent, that gives us the ability to turn towards you and to begin to apply truth. Thank you for your goodness. It's the kindness of God that leads man to repentance. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. Just thank you for your blessing, your conviction, your encouragement over your sons and daughters. And I thank you, Father, that we get to walk in freedom. We get to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to see others set free, even through our testimony and our victory that people need. So, Father, I just speak your blessing on your people, your encouragement, your peace and victory in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. So if you would like prayer, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I just want to invite you to come on up. Otherwise, you guys are dismissed. God bless you. And feel free to have fellowship if you can have that in the hallway so that the ministers can minister up here. Thank you and God bless you.